welcome to our podcast for this Friday, the 15th of July. I'm your host, David Lennox, and I have with me today our CEO, Angus Geddes. Hi, Angus, and welcome to the podcast. G'day, Dave. Great to be here as always. Before I get into today's discussion with Angus, there is a housekeeping matter I must deal with first. Our discussions today are general in nature. We are not providing personal advice. If you are seeking such advice, please contact your financial planner or advisor. Also, performance is no indication of future performance. Well, Angus, let's get straight into it. I want to start with Thursday's daily, and you headed this blind man's bluff. Now, I tried to stay away from the Ukraine-Russian war as much as I could, but I think this one's really quite pertinent. And here you were writing about the Nord Stream gas pipeline that runs uh, from Russia under the Baltic Sea all the way around to Germany. What's so important about just one pipeline and what are the consequences that might roll out of what the market's fearing most for that might happen about this pipeline, please? Well, I think, Dave, first of all, the Nord Stream pipeline uh, is one of the main arteries, if you like, that supplies gas to 400 million people in Europe from Russia. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the last couple of weeks, it's been, um, it's effectively been shut down for maintenance. That's what the Russians are saying anyway. But there is growing apprehension that the pipeline won't be restarted. Now, um one of the risks for the, for the for the markets is of course if russia does indeed cut off the gas to europe uh, especially with the european winter approaching yes and you you know there's 400 million europeans who rely on russian gas to heat their homes cooking that sort of thing um you know it's a major energy source for the Europeans. And, you know, if uh, the Russians were to cut that gas off, you know, it would have pretty dire consequences for Europe, um, you know, not least um, creating a, an energy crisis. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it would be coming at a time when the economy is looking a bit wobbly anyway and it's sort of buckling under under inflation and i think you know if um they were then to go into an energy gas crisis um you know it would have cataclysmic results for the um the european economy certainly and there'd be implications for the global economy now the thing about the some of the deep dive research i've been doing on it in the last few weeks the Think about gas, and you'll know this as well as as well as anyone, being the resources analyst. But you know, the thing about gas, it's not fungible. It's not as fungible as as oil. It's not. You can't really transport it and just you know ship it off. Yes. Um, it's got to go somewhere. So you know, the Russians will effectively have to store the gas now. The Russians have only got so much storage capacity, and once you know that storage capacity maxes out, 
they then have to make a call um, as to where whether they're a going to resupply the Europeans and let the gas flow through the Nord Stream pipeline, yep. or they'll have to cap their gas fields. And if they cap the gas fields, and given you know that's a major exercise, um, and given you know a lot of the Russian infrastructure is pretty antiquated. It's going to have some, you know, pretty far-reaching consequences. I mean, those gas fields can't be bought online quickly, and um, so therefore, you know, it, it this, we've got this massive game of blind man's bluff or chicken run, if you like, where you know the Russians are threatening to cut it off if the Europeans don't moderate some of the sanctions and the price caps that are being proposed. Yeah, and then you got the Europeans on the other side that really have no alternative apart from thermal coal and you know whatever other energy sources they can get their hands on. So you yeah. know it, it's 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 a risk factor for markets, and you know we'll certainly find out in the next week or so, um, you know what the Russian intention is. Um, you know they'll lose a valuable source of revenue. And they'll risk that revenue stream, you know, disappearing for good if if yes. the Europeans have to recalibrate their entire energy system for another, you know, towards another source. But um, yeah, like it's certainly it's certainly a uh, certainly a risk factor for the Europeans and certainly for the global economy if um, yeah. the Russians were to. to to do that. Now, the, the thing that sort of concerns me is um, that the Russians have actually built up sizable reserves, cash reserves, and they're continuing to sell their oil. Yes. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, they could use this as a, um, as a weapon. And, you know, it, it's no surprise that thermal coal price broke out and hit record highs this week, and we've seen the coal stocks run because thermal coal really is the only alternative energy source for the Europeans heading into winter. Yes. You know, for 400 million people to heat their homes. You know, yeah. they're going to have to look at restarting a lot of those old decommissioned coal-fired power plants. I mean, it sort of takes the whole renewable energy thing, puts that on the back burner for the Europeans anyway. And... Um, so you know that's where that's really what that that daily was all about. You know, blind man's bluff. We're about to find out, you know, if Putin really is mad enough to cut the gas off, or whether yeah. he's negotiating and and you know, and this is an actual giant bluff. And you know, it could go. I mean, what the outcome will be is anybody's guess. My deep suspicion is that that they will resolve it. In, yeah. in some way, and this is a negotiation. But we'll certainly find out next week. Yeah. It, it, Australia is obviously a very big exporter of LNG, which is a derivative of natural gas. It's sort of squashed up and and uh, turned into a liquid, and that's why it's called LNG. Is there any advantage for Australia in this happening? Can, can we perhaps uh, get a footprint in, in the European market, or is it too far away? Look, that's a good question, and 
you know, I mean, um, if the Russians were to shut the gas off, I mean, this would have, um, you know, similar consequences as, you know, what's probably even more consequences for the LNG market, you know, given that a lot of the oil is leaking out of um, Russia anyway and finding yes. buyers at discounted prices. But, you know, they're not going to be able to do that with their gas. You know, the enormous infrastructure is required to turn it into LNG and to put it onto ships, et cetera, and ship it out. So, you know, it probably does place some of Australia's major gas producers, you know, in a position of advantage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's certainly good for us then. And I'll be watching very closely because I know our portfolios and yours as well tend to be slanted towards that uh, natural gas and we've been that way for some time. Well, thanks for that. I've always tried to stick away from questions relating to the Ukraine-Russian war, war directly, but I think that one was quite pertinent. And I, I, I'm glad I'm not in uh, in uh, Europe, uh, Angus, with their winter coming. I'd hate to be uh, using the sticks and matches to keep my uh, keep my house warm but anyway we move on look everyone too and watch out for today's uh, fat wrap i think you'll find uh, when it hits your inbox uh, i reckon there might be a a feature cover or something to do with blind man's butt angus i don't want to move away from uh, thursday's daily i want to also cover off on the fact that you penned in that daily and that was quite an important one because u.s inflation figures came out the night before can you please just give us your take on what the re release was? Because you've been emphasising it now in your notes for some time. Yeah, look, um, there was a bit of volatility in the US market in terms of the reaction. You know, it came in um, quite elevated, not quite as yeah. bad as the previous print, but it was up there. I think the market kind of looked through the inflation number given the big slide that we've seen in commodity prices, wheat's fallen 30%, um, oil, of course, has pulled back significantly. So um, and gas prices are already coming down in the States. Yeah. So I think the markets look straight through the number, the headline number, and um, looking to a softer print uh, for July, which will come out in, you know, in early August. Yep. mid-August. Um, so I think, you know, inflationary pressures do look like they are easing and abating. And, you know, some of those high months, you know, over the last 12 months, some of those months start dropping off and we get some lower numbers. We are going to see the headline rate of inflation uh, inflation rate increase, we are going to see that abate and come back. So I think, um, you know, it wasn't the bad number that we saw in June. But, yeah. you know, um, look, anything can happen at the FOMC meeting. You know, there is speculation in the markets that the Fed could run with 100 basis points. Yep. Um, personally, I think they'll stick to the script and run with them. 75, um, given that, you know, we are seeing some of the economic data coming through, consumer confidence. Um, we're seeing, you know, a bit of the economic data coming through that that is a bit 
looking a bit frail. And um, so maybe they will, you know, just look to go with 75 basis points. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of my view. I think that, um, you know, I think inflation's on the shelf for now as far as the US stock market's concerned. And the big focus now really is on the reporting season and how companies report the earnings, but more importantly, what they give really as guidance as it relates to the next six months. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we had a couple of banks report on Thursday. Um, weren't, weren't great results. Uh, they weren't terribly dire results. Oh, Angus, um, you're almost impinging on my last question. Can I call you a halt on that right, one? Well, I'll, oh, fabulous. I'll, I'll stop fabulous. Just one, I've got one other question out of this, and this is something that doesn't make sense to me. How Reserve Bank meets monthly, our CPI numbers come out quarterly, the Federal Reserve meets sort of quarterly, but their CPI numbers come out monthly. How do the heck do they... How the heck do the two central banks marry all that together? Doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't they all be meeting monthly and having the numbers come out monthly so that they're much easier to digest and deal with? Yeah, good question. I, I'm not sure why the convention is like that, to be honest. Um, I mean, I can certainly understand why, why America, being you know the world's largest economy, um, needs to have up-to-date economic information and um, they've got the resources to put all of that together, yeah. which they do. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery. I don't know why the Federal Reserve doesn't actually meet monthly, um, whereas over here the convention is for the RBA to meet monthly and, you know, they've got the ability to adjust rates every every month if they want to. Yeah. Yet, you know, a lot of our economic information, um, you know, such as CPI doesn't come out, um, it doesn't come out, you know, it only comes out four times a year. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's got something to do with the fact that we're a smaller economy. and. Yeah. Perhaps it's the 10 biggies. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're right there. I, I just thought I'd throw that in because it just seems like a misnomer between the flow of information and the reactions. Look, I want to move on. Wednesday's daily, and this one we've been talking about it already, reaching the summit, and here you're writing about core inflation peaking. Did the June read conflict with the view, or did it conflict with the view of some of the market pundits and your own? Um, look, I think the, the inflation rate, the headline inflation rate is is moderating. Yeah. And um, if we look where inflation's going, certainly on the energy and food front, um, you know, it definitely looks like it's going to come down because um, because the commodity prices have come down. Yeah. You know, and that's a direct feed into how those inflation numbers print. But of course, there are other there are other components that make up inflation, you know, rents, for example, car prices, yeah. housing, um, wages, 
you know, they all they all also all go into the mix. So, you know, I mean, on balance, I mean, I think inflation is going to remain elevated for some time, but the annual or the the rate of, at which it's increasing should should start to come down. Yeah. So, in other words, you know, at some point, instead of seeing headline print numbers of nine, ten, eleven percent for Europe and the US, we we might see prints of five or six percent, and really see it begin to um, abate. But you know, it's still still elevated. Four yeah. or five percent inflation is still elevated. Um, I think you know, with the job market remaining so tight, you know, the lowest unemployment numbers in 48 years in Australia, and similar yes. story for the US. Um, you know, that's probably where, you know, where inflation is probably going to be a bit bit stickier uh, and harder to bring down. Especially yeah. as we get, you know, more industrial action and, you know, consumers and workers are worried about their, you know, real incomes going backwards. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I guess we'll uh, we'll be getting those uh, US CPI figures uh, monthly and we'll have to sweat on waiting an extra month or weeks for the Federal Reserve to, to react. I, I want to now come back to Friday, to today's daily. And we started, you started talking about this and I just nipped you in the bud, the first cab off the rank. And here you were writing about, uh, and, and you've written about this in your notes on many occasions though, but actually the importance of uh, the, the June reporting season in the US that's just getting underway. Why is it so important? Uh, and have the first releases that we've seen come out, I think last night, have they been uh, up to expectation, please? Well, you know, to answer your question, your first part of your question, I mean, the the, the earnings are vital, really, in terms of valuation, because, um, you know, that's if we look at the U.S. stock market and the S&P 500 at the very present time, it's priced at around four, 16 times forward earnings. So yeah. the average analyst consensus forecasts expecting around $225, $230 approximately for a Fortune 500 company, which which gives us 16, 16 times forward earnings for the S&P 500. Yeah. So this earnings quarter is going to be vital because, you know, if it's a good, solid reporting season, then analysts will be very comfortable with their forecasts for the next 12 months. And the market can have conviction that that 16 times forward price multiple yeah. is a tangible number and will hold. Problem is, is if, if it's a poor quarter and the guidance is poor and companies are struggling with, you know, everything from labour shortages to raw material and commodity price increases, yeah. margins are coming under pressure. And one one thing that I worry about with the US multinationals is that very high US dollar, which is going to impact a lot of those multinationals when they translate earnings from foreign currency back into dollars. Yeah. You know, if those margins come under pressure, then what we could see is Wall Street start to 
downward revise earnings expectations. So just for example, let's say the number dropped from 225 to 220, all of a sudden the S&P 500 is beginning to look a bit more expensive at, at, at 3,800, priced off an 18 times multiple, forward multiple. Yeah. So that's why it's, it's critical. And, you know, if we see any slippage and downward revisions on those earnings forecast numbers, you know, then, you know, it's going to mean that the, the S&P 500 in the US market is in for a, you know, a choppy period for the next two or three months. Yeah. yeah. And um, we could also see a fair bit of dispersion amongst analysts because, you know, if forward guidance um, is, is, is quite negative in terms of, you know, what companies expect to make over the next six to 12 months, um, that, that's going to create a bit of volatility in some of these earnings forecasts quite a bit of dispersion and what we will see is the consensus estimates could drop. So that that's why, you know, everyone is looking very closely at what's going to happen over the next three or four weeks, you know, as, as US companies report. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it is going to be challenging because, you know, there's a number of, number of headwinds that a lot, lot of companies are facing. Yeah, yeah. And were the expectations of the couple that we've seen, or primarily the banks, have they been up to what the markets have been expecting, or are they were they short on? Look, we're going to get, we're going to get more bank results tonight yeah. uh, out of the states. But you know, the two that reported yesterday, the two big ones were Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan. Morgan Stanley revised down. Uh, their guidance for the next six months, but that was pretty much in the market, and the market yeah. sort of sort of shrugged at that result. The stock was only down about 0.4 of a percent, whereas J.P. Morgan um, were a bit bit harsher in their guidance. They also suspended their stock buyback program, and uh, and their stock was down about three and a half. So you know it is early days, and we'll hear more tonight from more banks that are reporting. I think yeah. City Citigroup and Wells Fargo, two of the big retail banks, they'll have their numbers out tonight. Yep. So that'll pro provide a, a a greater degree of transparency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I know I've asked you this question before, but um, again, we have the US companies reporting quarterly. Our companies only report half yearly. There seems such a big gap between um, between let's have let's say uh, getting uh, getting qualified information, is there an advantage in doing it quarterly? And this will be my yeah, last uh, most question. Yeah, most definitely because the higher frequency gives um, much greater visibility and transparency over how companies are going. Yeah, you know, and, and analysts are able to extrapolate and fine tune their forecasts. So, you know, it, it is a big help, um, but the convention is different in Australia for a lot of the companies, a lot of our companies, uh, and certainly a lot of companies in the UK, you know, they they report on a half yearly basis. And, you know, for a small to mid-sized cap company, you know, it's just not feasible yeah. um, to do it on a quarterly quarterly basis. You know, the cost of it's high. Um, and um, 
And then, you know, other companies are, are quite seasonal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that is a discrepancy. And so you would sort of argue that, you know, the Australian stock market, you know, maybe even the UK market to a certain extent is less visibility. But then those stock markets are much smaller in terms of the global market capitalization of equity markets. I mean, Australia makes up 1.7% of global market cap, whereas the US market accounts for around 42 to 44%. Yes. So, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, the US financial markets are the most sophisticated in the world. And, you know, and that that's one of the reasons is that the economy and company reporting, you know, they're, they're, it's much more intense and and therefore there's a lot of lot of visibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good because I guess for here we've still got a couple of weeks to wait before we even see our first uh, half yearly or full yearly results to June. Look, Angus, thanks very much for your insights. I think we better uh, bring it to a close there and I'll let you say farewell. There's just one other... Um, yeah. One other theme that you know sort of talked about this week, which I think is justified in yeah. terms of podcast, and that is what's going on in China. And um, you know, I've sort of raised it as a as a risk, but you know, the lockdowns and the virus. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, um, we've known about the lockdowns and we've known about the virus, but. You know, I think it is a it is a risk for China, um, given that you know it seems that the Chinese vaccine is not coping that well with some of the other variants or the latest stage variants that have come out. Yeah. It's not as effective as the Western drugs that were manufactured and distributed. And secondly, um, China through you know its harsh zero tolerance lockdown problems they've been successful in keeping the, the virus at bay but you know, as we all know you know it's impossible to keep out for forever lockdowns yeah. can only work for a period of time yeah. so there is some risk in the chinese market as they're you know desperately trying to reboot the economy meanwhile you've got these lockdowns that they seem intent on persisting with until at least the leadership's out of the way you know president Xi's obviously after another term and you know it's a political issue over there because you know the last thing they that he would want would be for the virus to be running loose leading into that uh leadership selection yeah um timetable which i think is at, towards the end of the year in november so that is an issue, and I think that, you know, if they if they lift the lockdowns or, you know, soften them, um, it's probably fair to say that the virus is going going to let going to run riot over there. We've yeah. all been through it. Uh, the US has has been, certainly been through it. The Europe's been been through it. We've all been sort of dealing with with it now for a period of time, but. No one's really talking about what would happen in China if the virus suddenly broke out and exploded over there. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's a risk. And, you know, 
you know, the other risk is, is if they continue with these harsh lockdowns, what that means for the economy over there. Um, you know, meanwhile, you know, you've got problems in the housing market. Um, so yeah, I th I do think there are there are some risks there. Just thought that yeah. was worth highlighting. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I know we've talked about China certainly from uh, from other uh, notes that you've written in uh, the weeks past, but thank you. It certainly uh, certainly must be difficult for the leadership to determine just what avenue to to approach because I guess they've got 1.4 billion people, which is a few more than we have here. So look, Angus, look, thank you for your insights. And if you would uh, like to say your farewells. Thanks, David. And thanks uh, to all our members listening today. It's been a challenging few weeks, that's for sure. Um, yes. And I look forward to joining you all same time, same bad channel next Friday. But, <clears throat> bye for now. And you, you wouldn't believe, I just got a note, an SMS from uh, someone called Powell. He's asking what 10 bickies do they serve at our reserve bank? He might uh, he might want to join them. <laughs> what, what was the question, David? No, no, I just I just said I got oh. I just got an SMS from uh, someone called Powell. He's asking what 10 bickies do they do they serve at the RBA meetings? He might come and join them. <laughs> no, look, let's, hope Tim, let, let's hope they're Tim Terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually said, yeah, that sounds good. Listen, look, thanks very much. A little bit of humour at the end. It is Friday. Thanks, Angus, for your insights. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly, they've. Uh, I hope, uh, listeners, that uh, they've been uh, rewarding for you to get those insights from uh, from the writings that Angus has been doing through the week. And as he said, we'll certainly be back next week and uh, with another round of uh, dailies to, to uh, look at and uh, delve into. So please uh, stay safe. And, yes, if you've got the Tim Tam or two, uh, put them up and listen up and we'll see you next week. Bye for now.